Welcome to the Go Big Redcast, the Husker Fan Sports Show with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Honky. With his win over Ohio State, Nick Saban's now 170 and 23 at Alabama for a winning percentage of 88.1%. The only thing higher than that in Tuscaloosa is the COVID positivity rate after Monday night's celebration. <laughs> Zing. Nice one, Hong. Very good. Also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? I won't keep you waiting. We did win our first game on 5-5 five and five basketball. <laughs> the score was 26-6. to six. I shut her down in the second half just to you know, go easy on the young ladies. But uh, Lucy put up 12 points. If she could make layups, she'd have had 20. That sounds like a <laughs> scoring explosion. It really right was. There, it, it was a good feeling. Were they throwing the bones, only giving up six? Lucy did this step back, Steph Curry, three-point shot that just barely grazed the rim. Um, <laughs> it cracked me up, though, and I, yelled, I literally yelled, Steph, knock it off. She just kind of looks at me like, sorry, whatever. <laughs> Got to shoot my shot. It was hilarious. <laughs> shoot or shoot, Max. <laughs> shoot or shoot, oh, that's what shoot. she said. <laughs> and also a Boomer. Well, I know the 2020 season just got over, but I've already seen uh, some early lines for the uh, next national champion. Redcasters, you'll be surprised to find out. It's Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia leading the pack. And another good news, we only have two of those teams in the schedule already next year, so we got that to look forward to. <laughs> That's right. That uh, 2021 schedule uh, will be a challenge, no doubt, and... Um, well, there's been a lot of movement on that roster here in the offseason, Honk. This has been a very busy week. We kind of expected that would be coming, and uh, there's been some good and some bad. Would you like to just kind of like start us off with a recap, and then we can take some dives both in the offense and, and defensive sides of the ball? Yeah, Dave, I think that's probably a good spot to start with. Is that, Let's just throw everything out there that's actually happened sure. first. You know, just the facts, and then we'll get into the emotions or the raw emotions of these changes. Let's start with the obvious one, the wide receiver position. Wandell is out. He's transferred, and we brought in a transfer, Samori Torre, mm-hmm. from Montana. He was very productive there in, in their last season, 2019. They didn't play in 2020 so far because of COVID, but um, had a great season a year ago. And so that's kind of a one-for-one transfer. And one thing about that as far as how the roster is affected is we replaced a junior, Wandell, with a senior, Samori, and that affects our numbers because, as we talked about a week ago, Dave, seniors do not count against that 85 limit. Oh, interesting. Now we have six seniors that are on the team. I see. And we have one less player that was counting against the 85 oh, nice. in the process. Very nice. Now, if you go to the running back spot, same thing happened, except instead of a transfer, Dedrick Mills declared to go pro. And we wish him nothing but the best sure. luck with that. And I, I think that was the right move for him. So he moves off the roster, and we brought in – USC sophomore running back Marquise Stepp, uh, a former four-star from the 2018 class, an Indianapolis recruit that picked uh, USC over Bama, Georgia, LSU, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. We went after oh, him back then. And uh, he had Wisconsin on his radar yep. this time, so we could have been playing against him if we didn't get him. But that's kind of a one-for-one change. Uh, he's a big you know, 230-pound back. Uh, so certainly kind of in that mold. And, and, and I he's think got three years to play, technically. Probably yeah. won't work, play for all three, but he potentially. so. And we're hoping with the NCAA rules with transfers that he can play right away next year. There's some waiver rules the NCAA has to still determine and, and pass. As long, and, as long as you mail your letter from Ohio, 
gets passed. <laughs> so we just that's the key. <laughs> I, I'm, well, I'm sure you know the NCAA will have this figured out and passed by August 29th. You know, I mean they'll <laughs> right. And once they get on that name, image, and likeness stuff, yeah, they'll they'll get right on all those. That's right. It's, it's all about paperwork, right, Honk? And uh, speaking of paperwork, uh, before I forget, I do want to tease that you did a great interview with Paper Stadiums, which we'll have at the end of this show, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, coming up here with with Trey, he was a really cool guy and uh, listener to the show for quite a while. So loyal listener there. Uh, I uh, like the sounds of that. (laughs) And then as we move past the running back and the wide receiver spots, now we get into the seniors Mm -hmm. that are leaving or sticking around here. And first one that left was Farniak. He is declaring for the pros. And then the guys that are sticking around just today, Deontay Williams, Markel Dismuke, both said that they're coming back. And when you add that to Cam Taylor-Britt and JoJo's decisions from a week ago, that defense is starting to look pretty salty with some leadership coming back. And we're still waiting on Ben Stilley and, and Honus. Who knows, by the time this goes live tomorrow, we might you know, have the answers of those. But those are the only two seniors left Stilly and Honus, where we just don't know if they're going pro or not. And the reminder is that whether they go pro or don't, it doesn't affect our numbers one bit because next year they are essentially free players. They don't count against the 85 since they're seniors. Right, yeah. And so it sounds like Honus, uh, we, we think, might be leaning to staying. Ben Stilly might be 50-50. But point is, this defense has a lot of returning starters uh, who were playing pretty good ball by the end of last year. Well, I think that's definitely positive. Well, obviously, it's positive having a lot of your defense back. And I think that can't help but benefit the the other parts of the ball, too, where our big concerns weren't with the defense this year. And in fact, it was offensive production and special teams. If you've got a lot of consistency coming back, you don't have to worry about it as much in the offseason. That lets Frost be able to dedicate more energy to the special teams, which really need improvement, and, and to finding ways to make the offense better and integrate these new players and how are they going to adjust after losing Wandell and Mills. So that's a huge assist, just having all these consistent players, guys that know it, that want to be here, come back. So it not only keeps the defense going, it can't help but assist the offense and special teams, I think, too. No, absolutely, Boomer. I mean, I think, you know, the coaching staff can focus a little bit more on special teams. We'll see where that is from a coaching perspective, right? We don't know exactly who will be leading that or or, or not. But I think what we're going to be talking about here with all this this roster turnover is uh, what this means for next year, right? And uh, one way to kind of approach that is to look at how is this trending, right? I mean, what does this mean from a defense and offensive perspective on kind of trend lines? So, Honky, let's start on that defensive side of the ball since we're already over there. With all of these returning starters and a, a defense that um, I believe was around t- top 40, is that right, Boomer? Somewhere in that neck of the woods and an overall defense. Do you see this defense improving over that raw numbers again? And what does that actually mean for the program? Yeah, you can really see it right now. The narrative is just changing around this program offensively and defensively. Whereas for the first couple seasons, it was, you know, we need a defense just good enough to get the ball back to the offense. It feels like right now, you know, we have an offense that just needs to be good enough to get the ball back to the defense. That's how it feels. You know, I mean, there's, uh, you know, there's all this good feeling of players coming back. And, boy, the culture is so great on that side of the ball. The, the offense is the dumpster fire, but the defense is doing great. On Twitter, Adam McClintock, uh, he's at CFB Professor, he tweeted out that he was looking through some season-ending offense and defensive numbers, and he goes, wow, 
NU defensive coordinator Shenander is doing a great job. After a 10% defensive per play efficiency improvement from 18 to 19, he once again jumped his per play efficiency 11.2% from 19 to 20. That's not common. Now, there's probably a lot of context behind that. Maybe you're starting off from really bad I numbers. I don't understand anything he just said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it sounds impressive. I just don't know what it means. I know. That's exactly right. <laughs> I read that and go, hey, we're 10% more efficient. And then 11.2 more efficient. Well, hey. That right. sounds great. I mean, That's one louder. <laughs> one louder, yes. Let's just keep becoming more efficient, right? But you know, to your point there, Dave, about trends, we're trending upwards on the defensive side. Our stats are getting better. Dr. Petey uh, tweeted out something a week ago where he went through all these different stats, our rushing yards per play, passing yards per play, points per game. All these numbers are going down over the last three years, so we're trending in the right direction. What does that mean towards next year? We, we get these guys back, some of these senior leaders back. We saw young guys like Robinson and Rogers stepping up on the D-line. We're getting linebackers starting to step up. Heinrich at the end of the last year stepping into Colin Miller's role. I mean, there's a lot of good feelings that we could be a pretty salty defense. Mm-hmm. And defense is a lot about attitude, right? I mean, that's kind of the big thing. You have to play with a certain kind of moxie, a certain kind of just collective thinking of getting after the ball. And, you know, for me – I'm surprised Deontay Williams came back based on his age and his little bit of his injury history. For him to come back and strap it up again for us, that that sends a signal to me. And same with JoJo, too. It's a signal to me that these guys think we've got something going on here. And I think about what that does for a player. Like, we've all agreed that Cam Taylor Britt is probably our most dynamic defensive player. Think about what that does for him to have his starting safeties coming back for him next year. Like, we don't know what's going to happen with – do we know – uh, decap hasn't is he going pro uh, he's going pro decap's yeah. going pro so if decap's going pro then you're already going to be breaking in another corner now that could be braxton miller somebody's got some time but and we've got quentin newsome as well so we've got some talent over there but if you're breaking in two new safeties and a new corner that really hampers what cam taylor Britt can do but now you've got that entire almost the entire secondary back that allows him to be so much more dynamic and i'm really curious to see what they'll do with him if we could sprinkle in honus and then stilly that's guys at every level of the defense coming back and not just guys starters leaders contributors i mean that's a humongous statement you know for all the culture cancer you keep hearing about you know that speaks pretty good to this team i'm like would a defense come back knowing that their offense was going to be garbage the next year i mean just to play defense i don't think so you know i feel like you could take that as a very good sign i mean you can always point to guys leaving and say this is bad this is bad this looks bad but nobody points to how good it looks when these guys come back and you're ready to do it again for Nebraska, I think it's a great sign. Well, Dave, we're clearly the only team in the country to have guys enter the transfer portal. That's the one thing I've yeah, learned. Yeah, I this believe that's it. Everybody, all 1,000 players have uh, left Nebraska and entered the transfer portal. No one else has had this issue whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, Tennessee's had their share. I think they're almost at 20, but uh, yeah. yeah, you know, we're not quite there. Yeah, and I think depth is important here in the secondary. For example, we don't know Miles Farmer's. Uh, injury status, right? Uh, Noah Pola Gates has had some, been dinged up. And so not only are they inexperienced, but they're also injured, right? Uh, Nadab Joseph as well. So, I mean, it definitely helps us uh, going into 2021 to have these guys back. And hopefully you see so, some rotation there so everybody gets some experience at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just highlighting on the, the roster we have on our screen, Nadab Joseph, right as you said his name, Dave. And he's one of those guys that, you know, no one thinks about, you know, because there's no reason to. He didn't play last year. 
But he's one of those guys, right? He was a number three Juco in the country last year. Mm-hmm. And we can toss him aside. He, he can be done and never play it down here. And that could be one outcome. Or he could, in year two of a non-pandemic year, he could have a good offseason yeah. here. And who knows what he can be next season, right? Yep, that's you right. know, We're so quick to throw guys aside. We're so quick to ascend certain players up. The new transfer that comes in, he's already going to be our best player, whoever he is at any <laughs> yeah. position. Well, we don't know that. You know, I'm not ready to jump on any one guy coming in saying he's our starter next year, and I'm not ready to throw any other guy aside. What I will say is if we're bringing guys in, we're bringing them in because they're athletically gifted enough Mm -hmm. to contribute and compete for starting spots. If they aren't, then why are you bringing them in? But just because they are doesn't guarantee anything. Step coming in here from USC, he may be our starter. He might not be. How would I know right now? He may stay healthy. He may May not. not. You know, (laughs) who knows? To think one guy fixes all is, you know, believe me, I'd love to entertain that line of thinking. I've done it. It just, it's just always very disappointing. Yeah. And you know, with, you know, Deontay coming back, you know, Boomer, we've talked about this. You know, as far as people getting playtime, he's always good for at least a targeting every third or fourth <laughs> game. You know, so there's at least a half to play for these these backups. You know, and really, in all the secondary, you're always just one targeting play away from. Getting in there and seeing some real time. So depth there yeah. is really important. Yeah, the targeting rule has really been beneficial for us to get younger guys it's out fantastic. there on the field. <laughs> it really is. The, I think the NCAA has been thinking, you know, looking out for uh, us. Yeah, yeah. you got to reframe it. We need to stop complaining about that, really. Yeah, that's advantageous. Get him out of there. <laughs> Just in the first half. You know, speaking about uh, Deontay Williams, Mac, uh, it is interesting, right? I mean, obviously he's he's older, um, has a he's starting a family already. And, you know, NIL might actually help a little bit here, but I, 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 Hmm. you know, I heard this on one of the sports shows um, earlier this week. I thought it was an interesting point with someone like Deontay Williams uh, with NIL building his brand up a little bit. You know, maybe a lot of these guys may not have a big NFL future ahead of them, but the connections that they make um, locally in Lincoln and Omaha uh, for their career Mm -hmm. and those type of factors is a big deal. And, And Deontay having one more a great season here, more name recognition, whatever he chooses to do. If he sticks around in Nebraska, that's a benefit, right? And, I mean, a lot of times people forget about that. That's a great point, Dave. And especially if he was part of a team, like we all hope, you know, got us, let's say, to a bowl game next year, really turn it around and starting a winning trend here, you know. He could be very much on the verge of that and being part of a salty defense. Listen, there have been a lot of former Huskers who've who've made a lot of money off of their name, image, and likeness after they graduated. Mm-hmm. So yep. there's no reason to think, you know, if the, if you don't think you're a, maybe a high-round draft pick in the NFL, I mean, that's still there anyway. He can go try that anyway. Sure. But if you're here for another year, you endear yourself to the fans for another year, you make yourself a name – you know, that's going to last a lifetime. People always come back to their colleges. You know, they don't go to their, you know, the place that drafted them very often. It's it's not a bad move. And really, that could be something going forward where that name, image, and likeness stuff does maybe affect some of those kind of tweener seniors from going, or tweener juniors maybe, from, from leaving early or coming back. Mm. It's a good point, Dave. I never really thought about it like that, but. We're always building our brain awareness, right? I mean, you know, I mean. Hockey has a brand. Boomer has a brand. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> we have our own pages now on the Herd at Media website, you know, our own bio pages. We have the Go Big Redcast uh, website out there. And so, uh, you know, we're, we're going to start getting into yeah. some merchandising. I mean, look, That's I mean, right. this, is, this is what the Redcast is all about. Baby. It's about is, the dollar bills. 
Mac is tied to Goonies, essentially. I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, if you, found, if you found a beacon that just sort of says, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> that says everything I need. Yeah. He has a never say die attitude. It's kind of always been the Goonies. I knew that since I was young, though. One-eyed Willie. All right, all right. Well, you know, different Sean Astin movies are, are favorites for Mac in hockey, apparently. Um, How many classics can one guy have? Honestly. <laughs> two. That, that, two? two. two. Lord of the, the Rings? The here is two. Oh. Oh, I've never seen Lord of the Rings, but I've seen Rudy, and I cry every time. <laughs> uh, all right, well, um, if we've covered the defense enough, let's let's go over to the offensive side of the ball, and let's start with that running back room, uh, because I think that's really interesting, right? I mean, obviously the big news, and this has been a rumor from last week through the weekend, and then finally confirmed earlier this week, is Wondell Robinson transferring out. We don't know where he's going to be going exactly. Part of it was his mother actually having COVID and him wanting to be closer to home. But uh, in an interview with Adam Rittenberg at ESPN, he also talks about how he's being utilized and maybe that's not the best for his NFL opportunities. So we're kind of at that. So let's start there, Mac. I mean, what are your thoughts on losing Wondell Robinson? You know, it's, it's always hard when you lose a player of, of Wondell's caliber. You know, he was a highly ranked recruit when he got here. You never questioned how hard he played or prepared and got ready for the, you know, himself for this season. He was obviously kind of pushed in the forefront of the program in terms of the face of the program. That was something we focused on there. But, you know, in this day and age of college football, it really comes down to for some of these guys, especially if they have NFL aspirations, is if they don't see uh, themselves being utilized properly, if they don't think they're a fit anymore, and if certainly if they've got people who are, you know, handlers of some type, you know, these are, you're always subject to this kind of attrition, I guess you'd call it. I mean, I have no doubt he, he gave us everything he had to give us when he yep. was here, and I wish him absolutely nothing but the best. But at the end of the day, guys, how many wins have we covered? During this podcast life. And Eight how, wins of the last two years when and, he was and, here. And, yeah, and how many of those games did he score touchdowns? Or how many touchdowns did he score? Yeah, he has, I mean, again, this isn't a disparaging thing. On it, him. Isn't, has, it isn't him. He it's has just, seven touchdowns It's just total. more of a reality check of, you know, like, no one player, certainly in this era of Husker football, is bigger than the program. And if and it, you're going to lose some guys. Yeah. And until we start winning a bunch of games and those crucial guys leave, I'm not going to be that concerned about it. I wish him the very best. But to me, we we switched out a five ten receiver that didn't wasn't much of a deep threat, and got killed a lot either in the running back position or going over the middle with a six three one ninety guy who was already possibly a third or fourth round pick this year based on what you know his pro grade was. Mm. So to me, it's that's a wash, guys. I mean, I I love Wondell and I, I liked all the dynamic. Uh, I guess the intriguing player he could have been, but I never really – and this is not disparaging. This is more just listen. How many times did you see him run away from anybody? How many times did you see him juke the whole team and get up the field and score? He mostly got hit a whole bunch, and he seems like he was small. And I kept waiting for the game where he'd break out and have a huge game, and it never really happened. That's not to say that if we had a more complimentary offense, he couldn't be a bigger part of it. But he's just one guy, and it wasn't he wasn't making the team go, and it's not probably going to affect us that much when he's gone. So, Mac, I mean, you're hitting on a lot of really good points there, and the theme of the night, Honky, is trends, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 Mac is talking about a trend here for maybe going from a, a reliance on a, a smaller 
Duck R slot type receiver slash running back with Wandell and picking up a bigger wideout in Samari Torre. So do you want to talk more about the trends of Nebraska getting bigger in multiple positions? Yeah, I mean, I think it doesn't take much to look at the offense and everything that Frost has been doing, not just this offseason, but look at the receiving crew that he brought in in this last recruiting class. Look at what he's brought in now for the last couple of years. We're starting to look like a different offense than the one that he was creating when Wandell was brought in in the first place. We're getting bigger wide receivers. If you're not 6'2 or taller, it doesn't seem like we're recruiting those guys as much now. Tall tight ends, athletic tight ends, bigger running backs. Step is 230 pounds. I mean, it's size on top of size. And I think, you know, when Frost made the statement, and, you know, it's gotten plenty of play, but, you know, the Big Ten, I hope they have to adjust to us. There's nothing wrong with that statement. I think that the Big Ten, to his credit, has adjusted to them. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there are things that we could do in year one that we're having more trouble doing now. And some of that might be personnel, and some of that might be the defenses have adjusted to what Frost was bringing to this league. Well, there's the other side of this. You have to adjust to what the league is. And I think Frost, over the course of three seasons, has looked at this and said, we need to get more physical. We do need to run the ball. For all the run the damn ball guys out there, and I'm one of them, but for all the ones saying he needs to commit to the run, that isn't the issue. We've committed to the run. We're top three running offense in this league the last two seasons. That's a great place to build from. The problem is, is that we're six, seven games into this year, and our three top rushers, none of them's a running back. Mm. It's two quarterbacks and Wandell. And even in our bell cow game of Rutgers, 25 rushes, how many rushes does does Martinez have in that game? Over 20. 26? Yeah. Even our bell cow game, the bell cow was still someone else. And I'm a huge rushing quarterback guy. I love option football. Give me the option. But guess what? Option quarterbacks tend to be about an 8 to 10 carry a game kind yeah. of guy. And then you have running backs, first and second, third team. So as we look at these trends, and as we look at bringing in step here you know, over the transfer portal, what I start to come to is priorities. I want to create a priority for this running back spot. As I look at the priorities, I go back to what I said a couple of weeks ago about non-negotiables. And I said a couple of them. I said, you know, centers can't mm-hmm. snap the ball over heads. Quarterbacks have Reasonable. to. Yeah, yeah, quarterbacks can't overthrow guys and fumble. I mean, those are basic things. <laughs> no matter how good you are outside. They're, of that, you're really quite reasonable. <laughs> yeah. But the running back spot, I, I made the statement that we can't have the drop off we just had. And so today on Twitter, there, I was responding to someone that asked, you know, if you could get another guy in the transfer portal, who would you get right now on offense? And I just said, I'd go after another running back. And someone responded that they said, I think if you add a running back, you run the risk of a young guy leaving. And my only response to them is, that's not my concern right now. My priority is we need to have three running backs to bolster the depth of that room. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very blanket statement. What does depth mean? It means I want three guys that can go 20 to 25 rushes in any one game at any time. And I would love to see that come from players already in that room. And if the coaches feel like the guys in that room, those freshman guys, Scott, Sevion, Ramir, Tompkins, uh, Gabe coming in, all those guys, if it comes from them, awesome. But if any one of those guys can't be part of that top three, and if they would leave for any reasons, I, again, I'm not, I don't want anyone to, but if they were going to leave because they couldn't make that top three, then they leave. Our priority is we need three guys next season, non-negotiable, that can be that kind of depth. Because when we don't have that, when Mills gets off the field one time and it's immediately Wandell, or we go straight to Luke having to carry it or Martinez, that's not an offense that is sustainable. And so we're running it, we're committing to running it, but that's not the emphasis on physicality that I want to see from a running game, for sure. Not in this conference. 
Yeah, you know, Mac, you've you've mentioned this before in previous podcasts about how you've always liked what Mills gave us, but he wasn't on the field enough, right? He was banged up, and he's he's a physical runner, and that happens, and that could happen again with uh, Marquis Step. He was banged up at USC at times, and um, the problem this is all interrelated, right, guys? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the fact that we didn't have enough depth in the running back room has at times feels like lend us to becoming more to be run heavy and also using our our best slot wide receiver as a running back right, right? and so to honky's point i mean marquis step is a, a critical addition here especially with mills out but whether it's marvin scott or gabe irvin or someone of that nature we need another battering ram type running back that can come in and, and take carries right a hundred percent we do. And I, you know, I, I mentioned on the show before about the, the transfer portal, you know, kind of being fool's gold on, in my opinion, for the most part. But the one thing, you know, you, you have to dance around a little bit of, of who's in the transfer portal and why they're yes. in the transfer portal. That's important too. Like Samori Tori, he was trying to boost his stock. He was trying to get to the next level. He wanted to showcase himself. It wasn't because he wasn't getting playing time. It wasn't because he wasn't being productive. That's why he wanted to come up here. So that's a guy you kind of want to get. He's going to come in and be all business. He's going to yeah. come in here and try to, to improve his stock. When you look at Step, that's a guy who went to USC knowing it was going to be like a traditional pro game, and then they changed it to the air raid offense, and that's really not what he's built for. He's six foot. He's six foot three, two thirty, right? That's mm-hmm. not really an air raid back. Yeah. So now he's coming back to do. He wanted a couple of things. He wanted to be a feature back, and he wanted it to be an offense that that used had a chance to be a feature back who gets a lot of carries, and an offense that would suit that. So it wasn't it. It wasn't because he didn't get a shot. It wasn't because he wasn't productive. It was because this offense no longer suits me. Which Boomer, we talked about that at the show before. That's kind of what the heart of the transfer portal was for. Not because I don't, you know, I don't think my coach likes me or this guy's getting more carries for no good reason. It's for guys like where the system kind of the rug got pulled out from underneath them and then things change. So I like what we did with these two guys in that respect. Could we get another guy like that out there? See, that's my thing. Is there another guy like like Step with those kind of circumstances that we bring in? Because we don't know how big Sevion's going to be by the end of the year. But he's a he's not exactly lean either. He looks like he's full on sure. six foot. He could be he could probably walk around about two fifteen. So that's a good size Big Ten back. Marvin Scott's a little shorter, a little stockier, Stocker. but still solid. And Irvin is and Irvin's going to be end up in that mold too. So you're right. When you look at trends and you look at body styles, we're not recruiting even even as far back as Ramir Johnson. You know, like that's not. We're not really going after those guys. Maurice Washington, the really skinny six foot one guys, you know. So there is a trend to make ourselves bigger. I don't know how explosive Step is, but I don't know that that matters as much either because what we need at the running back position is a consistent seven, eight yards. And that seems to be able to let the offense move. And, and what's interesting to me a little bit, and, you know, with Wandell leaving, what? how does that change our offense? Well, I think we all questioned at times last year how. Look, I'm not going to buy into anything that we didn't know how to use him or we weren't using him right. I don't know that. What I know is that we went out of our way to try to get him the ball at times that were maddening. You know, two of the games that are most frustrating from last season are are Illinois and and the Minnesota game. And what's the first play of both of those games? It's the side screens that don't get caught. You know, one's a fumble and the other one we we land on for, you know, negative yards, right? I mean, we went out of our way to, to put him in the backfield and throw all kinds of things to him. And what I want to see is, 
out of the running back spot is Mills type of production. Forward plays, five yards, six yards, tough yards when you need them. When we get into the, the red zone, handoffs, whether it's under center or whatever, but, but we're going to utilize that back to be our back. He's going to be our bell cow, certainly at those times. An emphasis on physical football there. I see a little bit of that we're trying to go away from some of these hybrid tweener players. And whether that's a, you know, when you think of Chris Hickman was kind of a tight end or a receiver, or you look at what, how we use Wondell, or even Luke right now. I don't know what to make all out of him because, you know, he's kind of a QB. He might be a receiver. He might be a running back. At some point, guys need to fall into a room and have a position coach and go to practice with that one guy and learn that role and get really good at it. Because when we try to do six different things with, with some of these spots, it seems like you get guys that never get great at one thing. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I want guys to, you know, eliminate some of those gray areas. Guys need to know their roles. And I think the emphasis on physical football, Frost is doing all the things that would tell me that we're going to get physical. You're not recruiting all these big guys and tight ends and doing all that without the the emphasis of it. It's just, it's got to come together and it hasn't, it certainly didn't a year ago at least. That offense was just messy at times. Put up a ton of yards and score a few points, you know I mean? I don't have a great way of saying it, but here's but one thing I will say. It was say, all labor pains without the baby. Yeah, but what I will say, <laughs> what I will say is the narrative starts to be created because of that. The narrative is, of course, that our culture's bad. And you, you see that all over the Twitter world. The culture's bad and Frost is losing the team and all that garbage. And I do like the statement that Dedrick Mills said yesterday as he was going pro. And I think Sipple wrote this, but uh, Mills said it was the most family-oriented type of program where they make you feel like you're at home. He goes, there's a lot of people there who still love me. That doesn't sound Gross. like a guy. Yeah. <laughs> but that doesn't sound like that doesn't sound like a guy that is frustrated with the coaching staff where, you know, there's yeah. there's dissension in the locker room, you know. I don't watch soap operas for a reason. I don't need the drama and I'm not going to go into the chat boards and all that stuff. I don't need that right now. We have lost 12 games by a touchdown or less here under Frost. We're close in games. We're not able to finish games. We have some maddening offensive performances the last year. I think we need to simplify some things. We're recruiting and moving in a direction of being physical. I think we need to take the brakes off and just we, – we need to pound teams and we need to be very clear with what our players are going to do and not throw 82 things at them. we got some good players. I, I'm not – Look, this offense can to make a, a big improvement here. Dave, you were saying, actually, we were talking about the passing percentage of uh, Martinez. And he threw 71%. Yeah. And I'll say that to someone that says that he can't throw it. And immediately the response is, yeah, but, you know, Dave, those aren't tough passes. And 71%, 71%. But his completion percentage over 20 yards is low. What, what did you say it was? Very low, yeah. Oh, I, I can't remember, but it was, I don't know, 25 30%, something like that. Yeah, it's very low. So it's down there, right? And what's interesting is is that, so what that means is you got to toss him aside. He's he's a worthless quarterback. He'll never get it right. You know, he's four years here. You know, by next season, no way he can ever get it right. I'm watching the Buffalo Bills last weekend, and Josh Allen, through the first two seasons of playing in the NFL, he was last in the NFL, both years, in completion percentage over 20 yards. And this season, he was number five. Now, you made a point before we, you know, we were recording. Uh, something changed. What happened in the last offseason for him? They happened to bring in an additional wide receiver, uh, Stephon Diggs, who is a, a deep ball threat, right? Oh, crazy. So you add some weapons. And also, I think to also give him some credit, he probably improved as a QB. I know it's hard to believe it, but you can still do that even at that level. Even at age 25 or 26, you can still keep getting better. 
Why do we think that Martinez is tapped out? Why is it impossible that he can he can't improve in that one area? Because if he did, if he improved in that one area, the the long completions, I think people would start to be pretty pleased with him. My only issue with him then would go back to my non-negotiables, which is I don't care if you complete 50% of your 20-yard and, and farther passes. If you're still fumbling the ball and throwing interceptions, well, it's a non-negotiable. Well, if well, he's not to... running 26 times a game, he doesn't have as many exactly. opp- opportunities to fumble either. So you're, it, it all it, it's all interconnected, right? Absolutely. You know, you look at some of the stats of how much we've run Martinez, and it almost reminds me of Jamal Lord. Yes. And look, Jamal oh, Lord, God. look, he wasn't going to be a pro quarterback. No one had any illusions of that. But it was crazy how I think like the Texas game in 02 where he ran the ball. I don't have the stats in front of me, but he probably ran it 25 times for 200 yards. And then at the end of the game, we're expecting him to throw pinpoint fade routes into the end zone. It's like, oh, go ask anyone who just ran 25 carries for 20, you know, 200 yards and ask him to throw pinpoint passes. That's that's a lot to ask on any player, let alone someone who probably couldn't do that without all the runs. And Martinez, I would like to see him become more of a conventional quarterback. I'm, I can't believe this. I'm saying this, but I'd like to see him be a more conventional quarterback. I'd like to see our running backs be more conventional running backs. I'd like to see our receivers be more conventional receivers and, and eliminate some of the gray areas, some of the tweener guys that are doing six different things. You've heard it here first. Honky wants to be conventional. <laughs> I like how Fullbacks are conventional. I, for the most part, I liked how he's – take the quarterback design run plays out. I felt like his pocket presence this year was as good as it's been. And I agree. The way he exploded when that when he needed to run, he did a f- his best job all year. If that would just be his run game, add in a zone read, three yeah. of those occasional options, yeah. that would be a fantastic rushing performance from a dual. Let's just call him a mobile quarterback. We won't call him a dual yeah. threat, but we'll just say a mobile quarterback. That would be a fantastic performance by him if you have a complimentary running back, rushing attack, right? I yeah. mean, that's the biggest component we've been missing. I, I like that you said rushing attack, not running back. It's not yeah. about one guy. It's about we need that yeah. position to be consistent yes. over and yes. over again. With the occasional goal line, tight end. <laughs> Obviously. Please. I mean, a right. couple of them. Obviously, I'm not going to throw that out of the playbook. I mean, why would you? Yeah. That only makes sense. <laughs> you know, conventional can mean a lot of things. And, and, I mean, I can throw out things. I don't have any conversations with Frost, but conventional. None that he talks back at, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, I can't go within 500 yards of his house. But, yeah. you know, but no, the, the occasional you huddle. Gave those shoes back. <laughs> I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> <laughs> the occasional huddle, you know, under center every once in a while. I dare I say fullback, and fullback doesn't <laughs> mean you. doesn't. Well, look, fullback doesn't mean thirty plays a game. But I, I just watched the Cleveland Browns with Andy Janovich. He didn't get on the field until the fourth quarter of that game. But there's been other games where they've utilized him it's more. Because he was hunting. Well, <laughs> but what I'm getting at is that that's part of a physical presence. I mean, that's consistent with this physical style of football that we'd be moving to. I'm not saying that that's – it doesn't even have to change your whole offense to incorporate those things. And but my point is we've talked so much about Husker strength and Oregon speed, and I don't know if that can work or not work because the execution at your point, Mac, the execution has been so bad yeah, at times. Yeah, the world may never know. It just doesn't matter. But I know that Husker strength alone can work. I do know that. And I know that we're getting players that fit that Husker strength look now – the X's and O's behind that would lead me to think that tight end screens at the two-yard line after you've been running on a team, that's not consistent with Husker strength. That's not consistent with having 230-pound backs in the backfield. 
I don't know why we bring Step onto the team if we're going to be doing tight end screens at the two yard line. That just I'm just looking for consistency here, and the trend that I'm seeing is a more physical style of football. Isn't that crazy that? Like, there's no chance that happens this coming year, though. Like, you can't take off your two thirty pound back to put in your five nine. Oh, we sure can. I mean, <laughs> we, no, what I'm saying, we don't have that guy. But we don't even have that guy. Oh, I see what you're saying. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's to me kind of good. Like, I'm like the fact that we don't even have Wandell to go to to put in that you know miniature back for those situations is I, I'm I'm happy about that because the smallest we could go would be probably like Ramir Johnson. In terms of, you know, like, other than, I guess, Marvin Scott's shorter, but he's, he's stockier. Mm-hmm. I just love the fact that we're actually taking that out of our own hands. So it'd have to be a running back. Yeah. And let's talk about the receiver room for a second, because that's something that, again, out there in the Twitter sphere, there's a lot of concern about that room right now, that it wasn't productive last year, and now you've lost your top receiver, or at least the perceived top receiver in Wandell. If you ask me who our top receiver was, and I don't care what the stats were, I'm not even going to look at the stat sheet. The top receiver I saw in the field when he was playing last year was Betts. He was the guy that when we threw to him, he caught it. He's a bigger receiver. He could run through a, yeah. a tackle. He looked explosive when we did those little jet sweep things to him. He's the guy that I think you could build around. I have never seen Toure play, so I mean, I can't sit here and talk about him other than the but stats. He's 6'3. He's a bigger six, three, guy. 6'3, big guy. You know, we still have Omar Manning. And again, this, this and we is, do still have Omar Manning for all those forgetful Husker fans. Well, it goes which back is to amazing. Yeah. yeah, it goes back to my point about Nadab Joseph. Nadab Joseph was the number three JUCO recruit last year. All right, I mean, he made We're really ne- good in whatever those little niche <laughs> categories. We always get like a top five something. He may never play for us, or he might be an All American, or somewhere in between. I have no idea. Same thing with Omar Manning right now. A year ago, Omar Manning was going to be the. The game changer from day one. We heard it from Redcast Rob, but let's not blame him. We, we heard it from a lot of people. And you know what? He still could be that guy next year. He could. But that well, still doesn't technically make Rob right. Correct. That, and that, That's the thing we have to stress the Rob's most. never right. Nothing uh, other ever makes yeah. him right. But, Rob didn't say, you know, in 2021. But just this is so long as we're clear. You talk about those receivers. They're going into year two now of working with Lubick in that offense. And that can have an effect. I think that we can see some development out of receivers out there. Tight ends are, are part of that receiving crew, technically. And I saw a lot of improvement out of Austin Allen. I think that dude coming back next year, he He's has some big Ten. He has all Big, all ten, big ten potential. Sure on him. He does. Look, we've got players. The execution has to get better. At the end of the day, no matter what, the non-negotiables of if you're going to run routes and the ball's thrown to you, you got to catch it. It just if it you, just it boils down to it because the athleticism, the recruits, whoever you get, whoever you replace, whoever you lose, it just doesn't even matter until we start running our own offense. You know what I mean? Like it's so hard to know what this offense could do. It's just impossible to know. It's like. Well, it's good sometimes when it works sometimes. I'm like, okay, is that us stopping us, which it seems mm-hmm. to be, or is that the defense stopping us, which is occasionally. You know, but like until we're consistent enough at running our own game to know what we need to adjust to, it's so it it's frustrating to kind of say, well, we need to make wholesale changes. But what but your point about getting bigger, that has been a trend you know, it's it's been sort of this trickle down thing. First, the linemen got big right away. We wanted to get those huge, tall, long linemen, right? And then the mm-hmm. tight ends were the next, and then the wide receivers kind of came a little late. And the running backs have been so sporadically recruited, and we've lost so many. It's that's been such our skill position on offense outside of the quarterback position. It's just been maddening. 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 You go, Wandell's 5'10", and the next greatest player is going to be Omar, who's 6'4". It's like, eh. Yeah. 
Well, let me give kind of two sides of a narrative in one instance here. Let's talk about Torrey coming here, the, the wide receiver from Montana. And we all know about his stats. Uh, in 2019, he had 87 catches, 1,495 yards, 13 touchdowns, very productive. Had a long reception of 79 yards. Okay, so we have – there are people out there that he's a game one starter. He's immediately going to be a leader in that receiving core. <laughs> yeah, you know, is that, a, is that good or bad? And we're coming up with so many conclusions. And you know what? I don't know those conclusions yet. But here, let me give a different set of stats. Dave, do you know which FBS team Montana played that season, 2019? Someone out on the West Coast, maybe a Washington State or an Oregon, maybe, something like that. Exactly. They played Oregon. Do you know what his stats were against Oregon? Well, he didn't catch 1,300 yards in that game, I'll tell you that. No, so his one chance against an FBS team, he had three catches for 26 yards with a long of 16. So, guess what? I mean, he's going to be a bust, right? Oh, my gosh. You know, Now we're bringing in a guy that that's all he can do against a, a FBS program in his one shot. What are we doing? Well... What's one of the schools that he picked over to come to Nebraska? Oregon. Oregon. So Oregon had a chance to see him face-to-face. Up close. Yeah. Up close and was willing to offer him from what they saw. And my point behind all that is that let's not jump and immediately say this guy's going to be the next All-American because I think that's too much to say. That's the Omar Manning effect and the Nadeem Joseph. You know, he's going to need to come in here and work hard and have a great offseason and do all those things. And he may become that guy. And at the same token, let's not jump on the, when someone like Wondell leaves, that everything is wrong, that the culture's bad, the whole scheme is bad, everything's wrong. I mean, we're so into extremes. And usually the truth is somewhere in between. Yeah, that's right. And what the truth is and what we're talking about is we're just seeing trends that are going in certain directions. And Wondell going out and Touré coming in at that one spot, basically, as a flip, to me, that matches the trend that we're seeing. To lose Mills, but to gain step on the same day, to actually get bigger at that position, that matches the trend that I'm seeing. And that's not a bad trend. That's not this offense is imploding. That actually looks like an offense that is transitioning into year four into this conference. To Coach Frost's point on day one, the conference has adjusted to Frost. Frost is having to adjust to this conference too. And we're seeing some things that were not a part of maybe the Oregon's or the UCF's offenses, but that's not a bad thing. Well, and you keep hearing sometimes, too, that, you know, Frost is too stubborn to this, to that. And yet every offseason I've seen him address, you know, deficiencies we've had to make us better. Yep. And this is just another and... example. So I, I get the frustration everybody has with all the wins. and or the We're frustrated. <laughs> with, all, with all the wins. With the lack of winning throughout this. But – but I don't see a, I don't see a a coach that is so stubborn that he's unwilling to make changes, not just in philosophy or, or coaching staff or, or personnel. He's done all of those things. It just we can't win a damn game, and I don't. It's just <laughs> that's the thing. I mean, like I, I'm sure he's pissed off. I mean, we're all pissed off about that. But I I don't see it it's because Frost's stubbornness. Or his toxic culture all of a sudden that no. we have is the, is the problem. It, the problem is the first recruiting class he had was a complete disaster. Nobody hung around. And here we are after year three and then COVID hit. And we've never been able to build up any running back depth. And the quarterback position has been a shambles. I mean, there's a ton of reasons. I'm like, but it isn't lack of effort. It isn't lack of progress. Yeah. It's just a lack of results 
For a variety of reasons. To have 12 games where you've lost by one score or less. Look, he he owns every one of those losses. I'm not making excuses for those. There's reasons that we lost them. They are L's. Yeah. But they also, if a couple of things go differently in those games, and you win six of those, half of those close games, that changes the narrative right now. You know, know, we make a couple bowl games, and, and people feel differently. I mean, it's... The point is, we're not that far away, and yet things have to change yeah. to get where we want to go. I think he's making some of those right changes. Uh, I, I think that's a good point. You know, Frost has shown his ability to evolve in different facets, right? And I, I think one thing that makes a big difference in 2021 will be how the special teams can evolve, right? I mean, I've, I've heard other guys uh, talk about how the offense needs to complement the defense, but in reality, um, it's it's special teams that leaves that defense in, in tough spots at times as well. Right, Boomer? And so uh, we don't know what's going to happen. I, we don't know if we'll have a full-time special teams coach or maybe other assistant coaches take on more responsibilities. But things have to change again with special teams in 2021, right? Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, you look at games that we played. Uh, the Rutgers game, we you know, turned out nearly 700 yards of offense, but... It's a seven-point game because of turnovers and special teams. I mean, hockey talks about those close games, what it takes to win those. Special teams is a huge part of that. And I, that's definitely a place where we need to see, like you said, some kind of change or improvement going forward. And like I would mentioned earlier, you know, with the defense not being an issue, you should have a good opportunity in this offseason to, to put some effort into making that change. Um, you know, you've got your kicker coming back, uh, you know, Culp. That's a help. You can hopefully get him kicking into the end zone or whatever you need on kickoffs more regularly. He's good on field goals and extra points, so you're not worried there. But And you need to do something with your punt coverage. I mean, how many how many games was it where you'd see them kind of test early, the punter test uh, running the ball and only to do it later and scramble to right. untouched? It happened a couple games. I mean, <laughs> it was amazing. and it Our reputation proceeded. Yeah, we kept falling for it like a blind roofer. I mean, it was just the way it was. and uh, oh So... <laughs> That's just a big part of what we need to see when we talk about being able to make changes, you know, what it's going to be. Is it moving the special teams position up to an actual full-time coach or having the, you know, Frost himself taking a bigger role in it? I don't know, but um, that's one of the things I'm going to be watching for this offseason. Right. I feel like it's it's a balance of improving uh, the personnel with uh, maybe just putting more of an emphasis on it, right? I mean, uh, first of all, we, we hope to have Daniel Cerny, the scholarship punter, healthy next year, which might improve our punt uh, game itself. And um, I, I believe I, I read that we have a, a walk-on kicker coming in from Central or Western Nebraska honky, you might know his name, uh, who's got a really big leg. And so, you know, some of it's personnel, but then other it's scheme, right? And, and also playing guys... And, and this is back to the depth that we have in the defensive side of the ball, playing some guys that are in the program that want to see the field but maybe aren't starting yet, right, and, and are not just career backups, right? Yeah, so the kicker you're talking about is from Ord, walk-on that's coming in here, and he's kicked a 57-yarder. Uh, I was reading something where Alex Henry talked about how he's a more complete kicker at this point in his career than what Alex was coming out of high school. Right. So that's high praise, right? And what we need in, in terms of the kickoffs, if we can get some touchbacks, if that's what his role is next year, then that's a role we didn't have this year. And, you know, part of having a walk-on program 
where you have 150 guys on the team, you can build depth in special teams. And I think that's a great spot to get some of those walk-ons on the field. But what we've seen by watching the playoffs too, is when you see the Alabamas and Ohio States and Clemson's out there, they also will have, you know, starting cornerbacks, you know, running down the field on kickoff coverage too. It's a blend. You can have a walk-on out there and you can have a, you know, your all-conference guy next to him. And who knows with Dismuke and Williams and Cam Taylor-Britt if that's conversations they were having too is I want to be on the field in some of those instances you know I think I can help out on a kickoff team I think I can help out on a punt team whatever it is and then you get to some of the scheme stuff mm-hmm. too I mean there is scheme between behind punting just not be- to mention like a lot of guys make their bones in the NFL on special teams sure so the more we get yeah. some of those guys especially the seniors that came yeah. back that maybe had a chance that's that should be where they try to really make some hay I'll tell you what though when it comes to scheme of special teams and I know this is a big trend and somebody could a lot smarter than me and a coach could probably try to explain it to me, but I don't understand offensive alignment on punt team in the backfield. That just never makes sense. I don't understand why you have three dudes that are 300 yeah, pounds. Who that started that anyway? I don't get it because it takes away any opportunity to do any kind of fakes. You're not going to ever snap it to one of those 300 pounders. And why do you need that? I mean, why can't you have a linebacker who's 240 pounds pick up a blitzer? I mean, that doesn't seem that, you know, impossible. I, I think that, Sometimes guys are just overthinking it. Yeah, perhaps you should submit an application. I think that's a fantastic <laughs> idea. No, Boomer's already got his in, I believe, so he's already <laughs> ahead of you. I, I can't think of one single thing to argue with you about that. That's, <laughs> that's the first time I think you've ever said that. <laughs> Hockey, I think the idea behind that is it frees up your linemen, your seven guys up front, to just be able to start going downfield right away. You've got your three guys. Yep. That are you've basically got a backup line that actually protects the punter, while those seven guys up front can just start taken off downfield for coverage, I think is the concept behind it. So whether it works or not, that's up to you, but that's that's the idea anyway. I still think it's stupid. I mean, because I think you can... You, can, you know what you could do is you could have three fullbacks back there, and they could pick it up just as well. <laughs> and we could finally have we could find, There's your fullback well, You reason. know what? There, I can get on board with that. I can get on board with that. <laughs> and I feel bad for Boomer here because... We ruined a really good Pac-Man game that he's playing right now. We're not even kidding. He was no. You guys were going great, so I had some free time, so I put it in Pac-Man. I was already at the watermelon level by the time you guys were done. Uh... Oh, I took some time off too. You guys have been on a roll. It's the Mac and Honky Show. Well, that was a, a great conversation. We've broken down uh, both offense and defensive uh, roster changes. Let's uh, go ahead and hear the interview with Paper Stadiums. We have a special guest with us tonight, someone whose work you've probably seen on YouTube or Twitter. He's made a name for himself creating lifelike sports cathedrals out of paper. We welcome Trey Ashby of Paper Stadiums to the Redcast. Welcome, Trey. Hey, thank you for having me on. It's kind of thrilling. Uh, I've been listening to you guys religiously for probably a year and a half now, so it's awesome to actually be, uh, well, in a couple days I'll be listening to myself, so that's pretty cool. (laughs) Well, I... me personally, I've, I've always admired your work, I mean, from the beginning on Twitter, and, and it was kind of always in the back of my mind to chat with you, but uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention a, a certain Redcast Nation follower, Richard Fitzwell. He actually got the ball rolling by tweeting out that suggestion last week. Oh, did he? Yeah, after, uh, after one of your most recent stadiums, Seattle, which was retweeted by the uh, Seahawks official account, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> I was hired by the Seahawks to make that as part of a campaign to promote their stadium name change. So that's probably one of the biggest things that's happened to me throughout this whole paper stadiums experience that I've had. Well, let's start with that. How in the heck did you get going and started on doing this thing? So the story goes, uh, my wife,
wife goes to bed really early, like eight or nine o'clock. And I like to stay up to like midnight and I like to work out, but you know, you can only work out so much. You can't work out every night. And it just got to the point where I was just flat out bored looking for a hobby. So I got back to something I used to do all the time as a kid. And when I was a kid, I would draw stadiums all the time. Like I drew a lot and then it narrowed it down probably around junior high. I like only drew stadiums. Like I got C's and D's in school because I was too busy drawing stadiums during <laughs> class. And uh, I, I have a binder still with probably one or 200 stadiums that I drew in it. And there's probably a thousand out there that I, I don't find or got thrown away at some point. But anyways, I went back to that and started drawing them and started designing some on my computer just for the fun of it. And at some point, I thought, let's make a 3D model of one. My first two were out of cardboard. And then one day at school, I'm a teacher full time. Uh, I saw some red and blue construction paper in a recycling bin. So I took that home and said, I'm going to make my next model out of paper. But that's how it was born. It was really just kind of out of seeing a bunch of paper in a recycling bin and building a model. Uh, I made a model of Rosenblatt after that. And then what really started getting this in the public eye was I was making Memorial Stadium. Mm -hmm. When I made Rosenblatt, I would send pictures to my uh, friend Rufus. And he would say, this is cool. You know, he'd cheer me on and say, hey, don't forget this, whatever. So he, when I started doing Memorial Stadium, He's like, dude, you should start a Twitter account and show this to people. And I'm thinking, okay, there'll be a couple dozen people that like this and whatever. So I started the Twitter account, and it just got to like a snowball effect where I had 20 followers, then 30 followers. And I, I feel I remember the numbers 30 specifically because uh, I was in the 30s when you guys retweeted uh, my project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I was like, well, I should probably listen to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> that's I, Like I said, I, I, I'm pretty sure I haven't missed an episode since you guys um, told me out there. But you're, you were the first big retweet I got, and it kind of took off. And uh, I had about 300 followers when I posted to Memorial Stadium, and that went uh, semi-viral, about 150 to 200,000 views. And it's kind of built into, uh, I made Wrigley Field after Memorial Stadium and then auctioned it off. Uh-huh. And then I made Yankee Stadium, I auctioned that off. And then every stadium I made then, since then has been a commission. So I've got enough exposure and built enough of a reputation that people reach out to me. They say, hey, how much for Candlestick Park? And I give them a price and we make a deal and I make it for people. So everything I've made since pretty much the, um, the beginning of the pandemic has been uh, going to somebody. I've been making a good part-time living doing it and having a lot of fun getting a, a little bit of exposure and feeling a little bit famous so yeah it's fun to pretend like i'm some sort of celebrity i guess with ten thousand twitter followers and all that you just basically gave the mission statement of the redcast there it's fun to <laughs> pretend like we're celebrities for a minute um yeah. i'll tell you what i'm just looking over your youtube page right now and I mean, you do not discriminate when it comes down to what you will create i mean it is baseball it's football yeah. radio city music halls in there I mean, you've done a little bit of everything, and the attention to detail is just amazing. Have you found yourself getting better as you've done more of these? Like, if you go back to those early ones, do you look at them and go, oh, that, I'm so much oh, better at that now? Or Certainly. Every time I finish a stadium, I add the stadium to this thread. So uh-huh. people can go in and look at stadium number one all the way to, I think I'm up to like 30 or 35 now. Or like you said, they can look at my stadiums on um, – YouTube and watch them in chronological order and you could just see how rapidly they got better and how much my skills improved mm-hmm. and it's like everything in life if you do it the more you do it the better you're going to get 
And I'm sure you probably could go back and listen to your first couple podcasts. And yep. the, my best example is the last stadium that I actually still have is uh, Memorial Stadium. I still have that one in my basement and a safe tote and everything. Mm-hmm. But when I pull that out, I think so. I got to do this one again because I'm so much better. And I know so many little tips and tricks that prevent all these little things that make it look imperfect. So someday, hopefully, I'll do Memorial Stadium 2.0. And the difference between 2.0 and my first one will be uh, outstanding. And that's what I'm hoping to get to someday, and then also build another Rosenblatt. Yeah, you know, I'm looking around here, and obviously we're a we're a Husker football podcast, and I'm seeing some of our Big Ten brethren on yeah. here: Michigan Stadium, Beaver Stadium, and yes, Kinnick Stadium too. Yeah, and I remember you doing that one. It was really cool how you kind of promoted that, and you had Twitter battles which fan yeah. base likes which one more, and everything. But that Kinnick one is really cool. You even have the attention to detail of having like the children's hospital where they do the wave mm-hmm. overlooking it. Yeah. I just think that's really cool. So it gets down to when I talked about this is a, a part-time business that I'm running. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't be too proud to, uh, <laughs> to take a commission. So uh, I actually got paid pretty well for that one. And he was a great guy to, to work with. And just by coincidence, it's only been Big Ten Stadium so far as far as college football. But I do have Notre Dame coming up. So oh. that'll be something. I'll finally leave in the Big Ten for a commission. Now, is that Notre Dame today or is that Notre Dame Stadium prior to some of the additions because I'm seeing stadiums like Candlestick and obviously Rosenblatt the old Cleveland Mm -hmm. Municipal Stadium that you know you've gone back in history so when you do something like Notre Dame what are they wanting so Notre Dame is going to be present day and you kind of alluded to it there's they've done tremendous renovations to it so kind of like Mm -hmm. how we did East Stadium about almost 10 years ago now They've done that on three sides of their stadium. So it's it's a night and day difference between what it used to look like. But it is going to be present day. And uh, you kind of bring up the point that it's fun to do bygone stadiums that got torn down 20, 30 years ago. And the second time I did Wrigley, it was set in 1960. So it was kind of, it was, that was a really, that took a lot of uh, deep dive research to find all the little differences and what's changed in Wrigley Field over the last uh, 60 years. And yeah, so it's fun to do stuff and see how stadiums have changed. And like you just alluded to, um, doing sometimes doing nods to different eras of a stadium. Mm-hmm. My best example of that would be Angel Stadium. Angel Stadium has had like three lives. There was the first baseball life. There was the a football team also plays here life. And then now it's a baseball only life. So I made this stadium where the, the main grandstand was the fixed part. And then the outfield seats, which is what changed there in those three lives, I made three separate pieces to put in there so you can see how the stadium looked in 1960, 1980, and present day. And then another example, I'm going to do something very similar coming up. I have a commission for Turner Field. Maybe uh, people don't know this. It was built originally for the Olympics. It was Mm -hmm. an Olympic track stadium. Yep. And then it was a baseball stadium, and now it's a college football stadium. So I'm going to do something very similar with Turner Field uh, coming up here in a few months. Something else for the people that have been seeing your videos the production quality is very high on, on the videos that you're doing. Are you doing that yourself? Do you have someone helping you out with that? I mean, uh, you promote these as well as you create them. Uh, yeah, that's just some, that's another kind of hobby that I used to have. I was in journalism in high school and we did a new show every quarter and I just loved editing videos and I would get in trouble for overproducing my news stories. You know, mm-hmm. like there's too many, there's too much fancy work going on in this story about new cafeteria food or something you know so uh it's fun kind of getting ideas and creative ideas for each stadium and what song i'm going to set it to and how i'm going to present it and just coming up with different ideas so that when people watch the videos they're not only captivated by the stadium but also it keeps their attention by syncing it up to the music or different camera angles or stuff like that to really showcase the stadium in more of a artistic style really you know we mentioned that 
you just did one for the Seattle Seahawks. And, you know, that just got me thinking, like, obviously you've gotten to meet people and talk with people and, and have some really cool experiences with this. What has been one of the cooler things that's happened to you since you started doing this? And don't say being on the Redcast. That doesn't count. Okay, that, you got me there. So my <laughs> second coolest, working with Seattle was probably, I would say, number three. The surrealness of here I am talking with an NFL team, negotiating with an NFL team about a price point, and then I literally signed a contract with Seattle logos on it and everything. And it was, they offered me either a direct deposit or send me a check. I asked to send me a check so I could keep that as a keepsake, <laughs> even though it's going to take like another three weeks. So the, the thing I keep going back to all the time is like, Never in my wildest dreams when Rufus told me to start a Twitter account did I think this would lead to me basically being a a paid contractor for the Seattle Seahawks. But the coolest thing I've done is, and this is when Memorial Stadium went viral, we got to go on the field at Memorial Stadium with my kids and my wife. And I've been on the field before, but it was just us. It was the four of us and the reporter that did the story. And it was just, like I just keep saying, like I started this account thinking 20 people would like this, and then I'd move on and find a different hobby. And then now it's like, it's a huge part of my life. It's a part-time job. It's something that has allowed us to finally put a fence in our backyard. And it's unbelievable what it's led to. And like I said, probably the biggest one is running on the field of Memorial Stadium and letting my little kid tackle me and, we still have pictures in our uh, living room of that day because that was just such a special day for our family. And it's just crazy that this little hobby that I had just to waste time on my, my, my family sleeping has led to so many awesome things and so many awesome opportunities. You know, one of my favorite ones you did was the Astrodome. And mm-hmm. it had multiple uses to it where you, it was kind of like a transformer. You had baseball and then you yeah. could pull that out and put the football in. But the one that was really cool – and. Boomer, he, he loves hearing the Seahawks. That's his team. But he also was a yeah. big wrestling guy. Okay. And you did yeah. a WrestleMania one. And, and I think, didn't Stone Cold Steve Austin even comment yeah. and go back and forth with you a little bit on Twitter? Yeah, that was that probably rank up there with maybe the third craziest thing that's happened is I did the WrestleMania. So you kind of explained it. I did the Astrodome, and then I made it convertible for some of the biggest events that happened in the Astrodome. And one mm-hmm. of them was WrestleMania 17, I believe. Uh, and Stone Cold Steve Austin was the headliner of that WrestleMania. So when I did the big screen, I put Austin 316 on it. And when I tweeted that out, I tagged him in it. And he retweeted it and said that it was a hell of a night. And that was a childhood <laughs> legend of mine, right? Like, I was a big wrestling fan growing up. And it was like, uh, do I like Goldberg or Stone Cold more? So it was really crazy, this guy that I thought was the coolest dude in the world growing up is uh, interacting with me on Twitter. And I know it's not like I actually sat down and had a beer with him, but... It's pretty cool to know that I took two seconds out of uh, one of my childhood idols. I took two seconds out of his day, and he appreciated something that I did. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I asked the other Redcasters if they had any questions for you that I would I would ask them to you. Producer Skip, he wanted to know if you allow alcohol sales and inside any of your stadiums. <laughs> I'm afraid of spillage, so <laughs> I have to. Have, it's a completely dry stadium. There's not even water sold in my stadiums. <laughs> that makes sense. Mac wants to know if you have a contract with Dunder Mifflin. Uh, you know, as a huge Office fan, I didn't plan it this way, but the idea that my shame comes from crafting paper is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, and our graphic designer, Swobes, who deals in paper a lot, he asked, uh, have you, what's your worst ever paper cut? Surprisingly, and knock on wood, two years of folding, cutting paper, I've never got a paper cut doing it. I don't know if it's because it's cardstock. Maybe cardstock doesn't really give you paper cuts. I've stabbed myself once with an exacto knife, but never a paper cut. And uh, the last one here, this is Redcast Rob, and shockingly, he actually asked a somewhat serious one. 
He said, is there a particular stadium that you want to do, but you haven't because it's too hard with the design? Or at least, the you know, what would be one that would be really hard with the design? I'll kind of answer that in two parts. So the stadium I want to do is going to be either Kaminsky Park or Tiger Stadium. And then again, like I said, I want to do Memorial Stadium and Rosenblatt Stadium again. And it's just a matter of uh, I don't have time to do ones just for fun. I have to make sure that I'm keeping my business rolling. So I just need somebody to commission one of those so I can do one of those kind of like the top of my list check off stadiums that I want to do. Uh, as far as like the hardest stadiums to do or something I'd be uh, concerned with trying, it's going to be uh, the more modern a stadium is, the more difficult it is. So you look at like SoFi Stadium, the new Los Angeles stadium, mm-hmm. how it's all curved and there's all these different angles. It'd be really hard to get paper to do that. But at the same time, it would be a fun challenge to try and tackle. So the idea that, not to sound arrogant, but like I couldn't do it, I don't want to say that because even as, because I was actually watching a video about SoFi Stadium today and thinking like, wow, if I ever got commissioned, how would I do that? It's just the way I've always thought about it is I can figure it out. I can get it done no matter how hard it looks. I can figure it out. So there's nothing I'm really afraid of doing. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but I'm confident in my abilities that I'll be able to figure it out. So how long does it take? Obviously, you know, it's different from one stadium to the next, but just in yeah. general, what's a rough house estimate for how long it takes to get one of these going? So your typical, like, uh, major league stadium, NFL, major college stadium, uh, they take me about three to four weeks to make. I estimate about 80 hours per stadium. And it's really just doing three or four hours a night and then a little extra on the weekends and getting it done. And just kind of going back to the Seattle stadium, they contacted me 10 days before they wanted it. They're like, like I talked to the guys, like, I know it takes you three weeks, but can you get it done in 10 days? And that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about, I didn't actually know for sure if I can get it done in 10 days, but I made a deal and I figured I'd, I'd figure it out. So I worked nonstop three days straight during the New Year's weekend and then stayed up late and worked 80 hours in about six days. It's just a matter of just dedicating a little bit of time to it. And like I said, three to four weeks right now. And then in the summer, I'm sure I'll turn them out a little bit faster. And I noticed something last year that you did. And on the Redcast, we're really big on giving back and we like doing charity mm-hmm. stuff. Team Jack is important to us. Uh, yeah. I noticed last year you had a raffle for 100 black men of Omaha that raised yeah. over $1,300. Can you tell us a little more what that was about and what that cause was for and, and why that was dear to you? First off, it was $1,700. Oh, wow. Don't shore me 400 bucks. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to get super political, but that was during the cultural awakening happening last spring. And it was the way I kind of look at it. And it's definitely not an anti-police thing. I support good police work, but it's more just I come from a multicultural family. And for me, it was when this is all going down, I have a Twitter following. I have some fans out there. What can I do to just kind of... The way I looked at it was like putting my hand on my brother's back and patting his back and saying, I feel what you're going through and I'm here for you. And if I can raise a little bit of money for a charity that helps uh, black youth with usually college scholarships, tutoring, stuff like that. uh, I think that was an awesome way to kind of use my platform to give them a little show of support. Uh, That's great. Well, I got to tell you, anyone on the Redcast, any of those guys, they know me. I'm I'm a stadium guy. When I go on trips, vacations... I take my wife hours out of the way to go and see Nevada stadium in Reno or, you know, the, it, when we went to Utah a couple of years ago, uh, we drove up to Logan to see Utah state. We went to Provo to see BYU. And of course we went up to the press box of uh, the university of Utah. So, I mean, I just, I do that everywhere we go. I was in the SEC yeah. area a couple of years ago. So this is extremely cool to me. I mean, I love each stadium. So unique. 
You know, that's the thing, especially college stadiums. These pro ones, the new ones, are starting to get kind of more and more homogenized. They're all the same. But, like, these college ones, you get these ones that are so unique. Is there any features on any one stadium that you look at and you go, oh, man, that's really cool? Oh, man, that's a a great question. Uh, What you were talking about before about just being a stadium person, uh, I'm the same way. When we drove down to Florida a couple last uh, spring, we went out of our way to go to Birmingham and see Rickwood Ballpark. So, oh, cool. uh, stadiums are cool, and, and it's something that I didn't realize there were so many stadium nerds out there until I started this account. Cool features. Uh, part of them is like Dodger Stadium. I just loved looking at the, the different colored seats that that stadium has and how it ended up turning out in uh, my model. I put lights on Madison Square Garden. If people have seen it, that's the one I'm in the middle of building mm-hmm. right now. And, turning those lights off and on like my kid wants to do it before he goes to bed every night so that's really fun kind of sharing that with him and and then the one more i'd like to say is probably when i did the 1960s wrigley field i cut it with the cricket i cut out all the trusses uh underneath the stadium so just looking at all those trusses just like for me it like blew my mind like all that is made of paper it's like all it looks like these this uh, jungle gym that's suspended above the stadium and looking at the, the intricate cuts and I have a cricket now that does a lot of the cuts for me, but that's something I, I enjoy looking at. Cause it's, if you showed somebody that if they're five feet away and they didn't know, they probably, they wouldn't even know it's made of paper. That kind of gets to the shtick of paper stadiums is it looks so good. It doesn't even look like it's made of paper. You have succeeded. Cause when I look at these things, I mean, it looks like I'm looking at a, a picture sometimes. I mean, that they're, they're so realistic an awesome job. Well, you know, if somebody wants to uh, contact you then to, to create a stadium, how would they go about doing it? Yeah, so I every single deal I've made has been through uh, direct messaging on usually Twitter, uh, Instagram, or Facebook. Uh, and you can find me pretty easily. Just search Paper Stadiums. I'm, I accidentally came up with a great name because nobody has anything close to it. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be at Paper Stadiums on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just send me a direct message. Tell me what stadium you'd like to make. Uh, my prices change depending on the stadium because some of them take longer than others. Uh, but we could definitely make a deal if you just reach out to me. Well, Trey, I got to tell you, I just think this is so cool. I'm I'm, I'm ecstatic that the Redcast had any ability to help you out early on with the with the retweet because what you're doing is so cool. Um, Thank you. Seriously, Redcasters, uh, you know, follow them on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all at Paper Stadiums. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this stuff. So take a look at it. Watch the videos. That just a great job. Trey, as is uh, kind of the tradition here on the Redcast, uh, whenever we have a guest, uh, they get some parting shots. So the floor is yours. All right. Well, first, I want to, I want to thank the Redcast, especially uh, you, Honky. Uh, it's just so cool to be on this. And part of it is like what I've enjoyed most about paper stadiums. Like, yeah, it's nice making money and everything. And it's nice being a tiny bit famous. But what's really cool is putting all this hard work into something and knowing that people enjoy it. So knowing that you guys enjoyed enough to reach out to me or people enjoyed enough just to give it a like or a retweet. So really it's just a matter of if there's anybody out there that's been following me that thank you. It's, it's awesome knowing that people appreciate it and putting all this hard work and knowing that people appreciate what I'm doing. So, uh, and if you don't follow me, you should, because <laughs> I do some pretty cool stuff. So if you like stadiums at all, I, I guarantee I'll, I'll find something for you. It's just usually about one tweet a day and I, I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well. So, I look forward to meeting some new followers and interacting with all y'all on social media. All right. Give them a follow, Redcasters. Paper Stadiums. Thank you. And now, Nebraska Ball. Well, guys, I've 
never known more about paper than I do now. Thanks to that interview. <laughs> thanks to Trey and, and Honky. Um, Honky, I got to ask, what was the most interesting part of the interview for you on that? You know, it's always cool to talk with someone that has a connection with us, like Trey talked about. I mean, he's been listening to us and following us for the last year and a half, just like we've been following him and seeing the success, and it's amazing what he's done. I think that's a cool connection that it's one of the neat things it's about what we do. the good side of Twitter, right? It's one of the good sides of Twitter. Yeah. It's one of the good sides of having a podcast that's only seen 16 wins in four years because you can, <laughs> you can look at this and go, oh my God, what a horrible time to do a podcast. But you know what? We've got to talk to Steve Sipple. We've got to talk to Mike Babcock and Tom Chattel and Brett Siancio with, with Pick 6. And, Mac, we're going to be doing that again here in a month. Oh. And we've done all – you get to do cool things. And what Trey is doing with Paper Stadiums is a really cool thing. I mean, to be you know commissioned by Seattle Seahawks to create a stadium in 10 days like he just did, to get a check in the mail that has Seattle Seahawks you know logo on it. He's created the Astrodome. That's and cool. Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, tweeting at him about, I mean, that's cool. And we get to chat with him and and he was just as happy to be talking with us. You know, so to me, I guess that that's one of the positives. And I will say this, and this is going to get sappy for a second, but the other positive of doing this is I love talking with you guys. I mean, this is, you guys are buddies, it's friends, and this is what, you know, brings us together. It it is a highlight of my week typically to to come down. Short of basketball practice, obviously. Well, speaking uh, of highlights in basketball, let's ruin the discussion, Dave, and let's talk about Husker basketball. Let's talk about Husker basketball. (laughs) Hey, we're on a non-losing streak. (laughs) Yeah, we are on a non-losing streak. That is very true, Boomer. Uh, Thanks to a uh, COVID outbreak in the Husker locker room, we don't know exactly what's going on there, but we've now lost a, uh, a game that would have taken place tonight versus Illinois. The weekend game versus Maryland has already been canceled, um, so we've lost uh, three games now total, I believe, at least on the, on the season. We'll see if we can make any of those up, but um, uh, it is, a, a timing-wise, a, a challenge. We did get to see Derek Walker for the first time um, last week, and it was a promising start. That could really be a, a change in the kind of offense um, that we're seeing. But uh, now we're just kind of in a waiting mode, right, Hawk? Yeah, I mean, it's very early, and we just talked about this with football players, not to throw too much on a new guy. But Derek Walker really isn't a new guy either. As far as the Fred Hoiberg system at Nebraska, he's as experienced as anyone. He's been here for for over a year. He just hasn't been on the court. But what we saw out of him in literally one game, we saw some offensive moves out of the post that we haven't been seeing out of you know our other post players. And I guess, Dave, I'll ask you the question, is that – just hypothetically, if we would have had Walker all season, do we win a couple games that we didn't win? You know, how do things look different at this point in the season if we had had Derek Walker just from the beginning? That's a good question. You know, it's interesting when uh, Walker committed. This would have been right after Tennessee had a deep run in the tournament, and he was he was a backup there in, at Tennessee, but he was expected to have a much bigger role the next year, and he he chose to let to leave. Um, I think it was a pretty big get. We felt like that was a really nice addition. But uh, so many other players have come and gone and come again, essentially, since we added Derek Walker. We kind of forgot about him, right? And it felt like, uh, you know, at one point we're like, well, we're excited about, you know, adding this big SEC post presence. And by the time he actually got here, we, uh, you know, we're expecting less and less from him. Um, But in reality, he is probably, you know, our best 
uh, inside offensive scoring threat and can bring to this offense something that we haven't seen, especially in the pick and roll, right, where he can actually be that big guy um, and roll and, and, and catch the ball and actually put the ball through the hoop. So it could be a nice addition, and you would have loved to have seen him all year long. I mean, I don't re- also, I don't recall the whole uh, suspension thing when he, you know, transferred either. So that was a bit of a surprise. So it, 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 it I don't know if we'd have a lot more wins, but I guess we could have one or two. Yeah. Yeah. It was interesting. I thought the offense looked a lot different when he was out there. They were able to funnel it through a low post and the pick and roll game was kind of cool to watch. You know, Teddy Allen, Teddy, Teddy Allen cracks me up, man. He's like, He's like the best guy at the Y. You know what I mean? Like his athleticism is very, I don't know, man. 18 he, points a game. Max. I know. It's so crazy. He gets just shot off like a 45-year-old dude at the Y. That's, I mean, it's just kind of junky, but it goes in. He knows how to get it, to get his offense going. But, you know, but it's better when he has somebody else to go through. And like you saw Mayan get going because you can kick it out to yeah. him. And that's I don't think that's any small part to Walker being in there and then not being able to over rotate to it. So um if if he's good, if he's consistent and he can he can play significant minutes, I, I do think we will be a problem. I don't know what that means for wins and losses, but I think we'll be a problem, especially if yeah. our outside shooting gets hot. Yeah, I mean just in our last game. And we made free throws. I, I've never seen, even though we lost that game to Indiana, I've never seen us make so many free, free throws. throws. And McGowan's came in there and, and really, you know, became an offensive threat at times. You know, he, you can see him with the with the ball in his hand. McGowan's ton of talent. You know, when Allen is streaky as a shooter, I mean, my God, he can score. We saw uh, Mayan, you know, hitting the threes. So the points are starting to come from different spots. In fact, Indiana had a couple of two and three and four minute stretches where they weren't scoring. So there's pro- I mean, look, it's Nebraska ball. We've got to find progress anywhere we can, right? <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and so, I mean, we can, we can make a, yeah. a, a title contender out of a loss, you know, with that team right now, but that's kind of where we're at. And Dave, did you see the pieces start to come together to where did it kind of start to look like what Hoiberg basketball is supposed to be all about? Yeah, we're we're getting closer. I mean, it, this this layoff is painful. I mean, you would have loved to see these guys just play, even if it was versus an Illinois team that probably would have thrashed them. Um, but uh, you have a a situation here where all you're trying to look for over the the last half of this season is is progress. That this team starting to come together play as a team and and set the stage for a much a much better 2021-2022 season, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's what we're trying to get to. I, I look at, and you think about what Hoiberg is bringing in from a talent perspective with a five-star player who obviously has got a connection with one of our four-star players right now, his brother, Trey McGowan's, uh, and some other good, good pieces. And if we can keep this nucleus together and add some real talent... Um, you know, I was looking at, I was trying to find a comparison, and I was looking at Oklahoma State. Uh, Oklahoma State a couple of years ago went twelve and twenty, um, not a very good team. Uh, this is after Brad Underwood left to go to Illinois. Uh, last year, Oklahoma State started zero and eight in Big Twelve play. They're not good. They are really struggling, um, but they turned it around and ended up winning seven conference games by the end of of uh, last year. 
And so they still weren't weren't a great team yet, but they were, they had shown progress. And now this year they added a five star player, Cole Cunningham, who is potentially one of the top five players in the NBA draft next year. I'm I'm not saying that uh, our five star guy may be that high, but he could be, and that made a big difference. They are now uh, going to be an NCAA tournament team, right? And so that's mm-hmm. how you want to think about Nebraska um, over the next eighteen months: is can we show improvement now? over the next two months, enough that adding some key pieces can get us to being a very competitive team as early as next year. Well, Dave, it's interesting you mentioned that because Bryce did just go up a little bit in the rankings. He is now the the number 19th ranked player in the nation for this class. It's amazing. So that's crazy. So we like to, to use stars when they suit us, and this is one of those times. <laughs> you know, this is when stars really matter. Number three in his position at the shooting guard, and number 19 in the nation. When you're talking about a deep pool of talent, number 19. Well, and, and it certainly comes at the right time, too, because there's a player that's ranked higher than him that's in Omaha, and we didn't get him. And there's just a lot of talent in this state right now. There's that Trout kid from Grand Island just got a Kansas offer, you know, and so, yep. you know. I'm always that big guy on, you know, get your local talent and all that. And right now we're, we're kind of hitting and missing on some of these local guys. It would be really nice to hit one of them, but I know they love that 610 kid that I think he's from California that we're bringing in. I know, yeah, uh, I know Hoiberg yep. loves, yeah, loves his skills. You know, a guy can shoot with his left hand. He can shoot from outside. So, you know, they're bringing in kids that they want. But I think to your point earlier, Dave, and this is where a guy like believe in Fred, that's a mm-hmm. big, you know, Husker basketball fan. He's been on the show before. Um, you know, his big thing is if you want to get good next year, it's not going to be just about getting five stars in here. We have to keep a nucleus of players. We, we do. can't yes. well, re- no this cannot be a rebuild in season three. And so I'm not saying there will be zero attrition, but you certainly can't have the attrition that we had after year one to, to this season. So, and I don't have any reason to think that's going to happen, but that's how important the, the rest of the season is too. It would be nice to get a couple of wins under our belt, maybe shock one or two teams that, you know, we wouldn't think are going to be wins and build some momentum. The Oklahoma State example that you gave there, if you have that going into the offseason, you bring some some more pieces in, you know, look. I just don't think there's no – I just don't think there's any way that we don't win a couple games yet. I just don't. I mean uh, – Ken, Ken Palm would I know disagree that, with I, you. And I understand <laughs> that. But I, And frankly, this would go on the coaching if we don't. I, there's There's – We've got enough talent in this team to put a scare in some teams and to beat a team that's having an off night, and we need to do that. Or even just having an average night. If we got, we get Penn State twice yet, so there's a possibility of you know sneaking one of those out. There's yeah. games out there to be had. Yep, there are wins to be had out there, and because I know Beller was frustrated as heck with some of Hoiberg's either philosophy or, or team development or whatnot, but he, he makes a good point. We have enough talent to beat some teams, and we should. I don't, I know the Big Ten's really good. I'm not talking about winning a bunch of games, but to say we can't – to mm. Ken Palm's stat, no way that's acceptable. Yeah. Well, and the Indiana game was also a better game in the sense that it was close and it came down to the wire. I mean, some of these games were just getting house. Look, these are good teams we're, we're down playing. down by 18 and, and we're leading at some point. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing that we've played a lot of good teams really close for long periods of time, and then it just blows up, and Boomer, you keep sending us graphs every single game. <laughs> you, you text us the graphs of... Well, the the, uh, the Nebraska, uh, Nebraska ball scoring jug- uh, ziggurats, you know, they kind of go ziggurats, up briefly, and then a nice horizontal line, go up a little bit, nice horizontal line. It's just, we've gotten used to those, so... 
We flatline. Yeah, we, we flatline a little bit. Yeah, if, if, if this was a medical thing, this would be trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, good stuff, guys. Good stuff. Well, hopefully, we get to play a, a game soon, and we can see if we can make some progress. Uh, all right, guys, let's get out of there with some parting shots, and uh, I'll start with Boomer. Well, I know there's been a lot of doom and gloom talk here, but in just a little over a week from the night we're recording this podcast, uh, Nebraska volleyball uh, starts up uh, at Woo-hoo! Indiana. It's going to be an interesting season. You get uh, we're playing all conference games, and you're playing two games in a row against that uh, that same opponent. So that'll be fun to watch. Uh, Big Ten is going to be tough, like it always is. I mean, you've got what three or four teams in the top ten already, and a few others in the top twenty-five. I think Wisconsin's getting a lot of votes. Nebraska at five. Penn State, Minnesota, always tough. So. Should have some something exciting to look forward to there, and uh, don't forget the rest of your sports. Wrestling's been going strong, and uh, women's number, uh, basketball has been pulling off upsets that we're hoping for on the men's yep. side of things. So plenty of Husker stuff to support out there, gang. That's right. We have had the women's basketball team with two top 25 upsets. And Honky, I, I know you watched uh, some of the wrestling last weekend. Yeah, that was fun. I don't understand scoring at all, but it's sure fun. And we beat Minnesota, but the last uh, match uh, was the heavyweight, and they have like a future WWE dude. That guy Minnesota. was good. Oh my gosh, yeah. they're heavyweight, but Nebraska won, and uh, go big red there. I think we're like fifth in the country or something. So this is go out there. Well, if if you can go out there, I guess I don't know if we're allowing people in. I shouldn't say that, but but watch at least watch it when they're on TV and everything. Support those guys. Support all these teams this spring. That's um, a lot of fun. My two parting shots, one of them goes back to actually my hot take on Nick Saban. And, you know, look, his winning percentage is amazing. And pick six, Brett Sianza, he posted a stat that every Nick Saban recruiting class since 2000 has won a national championship. And I, you can't say enough about Saban That's there. Ridiculous. And, you know, we get sometimes into the, you know, the Mount Rushmores of this or that. Tom Osborne is absolutely on the Mount Rushmore of all-time coaches, but Nick Saban is absolutely right there next to him. And really, it's hard to – whether you like him or not, Saban, he's number one. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's a living legend doing this. And everything I'm saying to give him credit, I'm also discrediting the SEC along the way. You don't get to take credit <laughs> for this. In fact, you're one of the reasons that he's won so many of those games is because you guys have lost a lot of times to him. But the point is – a lot of teams have lost to him. Nick Saban's done an amazing job. And yeah. I mean, to lose what, 23 games at, at Alabama. And I think six of them were in year one. That's insane. So, uh, wow. That's just a stat. You don't get to see a lot. The other one I have is uh, Stanford and Kansas state. They're going to open the 2021 20, season in Arlington, Texas, a game that was originally scheduled in K state. So boomer, I know you love that. I'm so happy to hear that too. Let's get those games off campus, away from yeah, because Manhattan's such a crappy college experience. I mean, that's so stupid. <laughs> yeah, thank God those two teams, just what everyone was calling for, right, Boomer? Yeah, I'm sure the fan bases are really going to turn out highly for that. So, good job, college football. Yeah, oh, Stanford travels so well to begin with. So, yeah. So good a- again, the the to the lords of college football, thank you for giving us that. <laughs> uh, all right, and Mac, get us out of here. Oh uh, yeah, he, just uh, touching base with the. The wrestling comments you guys said earlier, uh, Jordan Burroughs was on the uh, Joe Rogan podcast recently, and it was a really good interview. Cool. And within the first 45 minutes, I think he mentioned the University of Nebraska at least three times. So uh, it's just kind of fun to listen to it. You know, it's always interesting to listen to a high-level uh, athlete in a in a 
combat sport. I guess maybe wrestling isn't necessarily combat, but who hasn't had his, his head beat in for so many years that he's you know <laughs> just got a just a good head on his shoulders and is interesting <laughs> to listen to as sure. opposed to slobbering a lot. So <laughs> so that was good. And then uh, I just again I, I encourage all Husker fans during these these uh, transfer portal times to keep it as classy as you can on Twitter. Um, you know, the suit, is that what it was? A suit? No, stay off of Twitter. Yeah, let, let's S-O-A. just, you know, let's just exercise, you know, grace as much as we can with these, you know, young kids' decisions. And, you know, for all the transfers that we're so happy to, to, to welcome to the Husker fan base, there's a fan base, you know, cursing their name they're leaving behind. So let's just keep yeah. that in mind as, you know, we go forward. Yeah, you know, I, I think about that. And Dave, at the end of every one of these shows, until we – actually edit it down tomorrow and listen to it. I always worry about how are we going to come off, you know, or, or were we too negative tonight? And I hope, I hope nobody would listen to this and come away thinking that like it's the traditional red cast. I mean, yeah, the, the things aren't as bad as they, they look and, and, you know, I'm always going to call us 12 and 0 next year too. I'm never going to learn. So it, it's probably <laughs> somewhere in between that. Right. And, and I'll always call for a fullback. I'll always you know? call for a fullback. I mean, till the end, <laughs> till the end of time, but look, I mean, our support, and Dave, you've said this a number of times and you've walked us off cliffs before. Our support isn't wavering one bit from the staff, from Frost or anything, the direction of this. It's simply, we're getting down to tactics now. We're getting to strategies now. And that's actually, in a weird way, it's fun to talk about. It is fun to talk about uh, where I think this is where we're going or this could work. And, uh, but that's a whole different thing than talking about culture and all that stuff. And I honestly, I'm tired of talking about culture. I'm tired of reading about it on Twitter. When people say the culture is bad and they've never been in that locker room and they don't know anybody in there, I'm done with that. That's not the issue. All right. The issue is let's score more points mm-hmm. than the other team. Let's get some wins. Let's stop losing those one score games. That's the problem. And uh, look, we've got the right guys to do it. It's let's do it. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to spay the new to your pets. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Uh, All right, guys. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, As always, uh, let's call that a Go Big Redcast. Go Big Red. GBR. Kings of the offseason. We can hang a banner every time. A Huda Media Production.